Greetings, building science enthusiasts, and welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Bowtex Systems, a Texas-based manufacturer of a high-performance insulated concrete wall system. Here on the Building Science Podcast, we stress the importance of the building enclosure to the overall comfort, health, safety, durability, and efficiency of our buildings. And you've also heard us say that the enclosure needs to do the heavy lifting. In fact, the enclosure may be the most important first decision you make on your next construction project. We believe that some of the best solutions for a high-performance building enclosure are monolithic mass wall assemblies, like the Bowtex wall system. Bowtex walls include structure, enclosure, and insulation all in one assembly and is installed by a single trade, Manufactured locally here in Central Texas, fast to construct, and labor-friendly, Bowtex walls deliver competitive first costs and provide a lifetime of savings on energy and maintenance costs. Better buildings start with better walls. To learn more about how to design and build better buildings using Bowtex, go to bowtechsystems.com backslash building science. That's how they'll know that we sent you. That's B-A-U-T-E-X systems.com slash building science. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to construction, design, and architecture. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Hey listeners, welcome back. This is another live episode from the Texas Society of Architects Expo and Convention. So prepare for a little background noise, but enjoy the episode. All right, so hello, welcome back. We're live from the TXA conference in Austin, Texas, and I have the great pleasure to introduce to you Peter Pfeiffer of Barley Pfeiffer Architects here in Austin. Now, I didn't know you were going to say pleasure. I thought you were just going to say the great. Okay, no, I'm so, playing with you. I'm having fun today. Classic Peter. Uh, so Peter and I have uh, done a little bit of prep for this interview, um, talking about topics, and we're kicking it off based on um, the theme at this conference of uh, different levels of beauty, different ways to look at the built world. And I know that you just attended the Austin Green Awards? I did. I yeah. did two weeks so ago. Tell us about that. And, and if you could tie it into your perception of... Uh, you know, so beauty, quality in a building, right? It, it, it's the architectural design and other things. Okay, you know, my view of beauty is that we're beyond just we're beyond just skin deep beauty. I think at this level of sophistication, architects should be at the point where they're not just designing good-looking buildings, Christoph, but these buildings perform extremely well. That's why here, we here. are architects, and that's why we're doing that top two, three, five percent of buildings in America. So with that point of view and that background, my expectations are high and I set the bar high. For example, this green building movement's been around for what, 25 years? It's been around a lot. To be designing a building nowadays and not have it respond to our climate, uh, I just think is unacceptable. I I don't think that's, it it just should be a non-starter. You don't do a home or a building, uh, especially a light or a commercial building, Mm -hmm. in Austin, Texas without shading yourself from the hot afternoon sun. Mm -hmm. 
I was a little bit concerned, frankly, when I saw these Austin Green Awards where they are really pushing the lead approach, where they want to, you to get into quite a bit of data gathering. I call it the minutia because it is. But then when all was said and done, four, three of the four award recipients' projects didn't respond very effectively to the sun here at all. Hmm. And I think that's a shame. So the enclosure being the part of the building that does the heavy lifting, that's permanent, durable. I, I wouldn't even just say the enclosure. I think if you ignore the sun, you make all sorts of problems. You make for a less than optimum indoor environment. Mm -hmm, absolutely. You certainly from make from a thermal for, comfort perspective. Right? Yes, or but glare. also from eye glare, eye strain, mm -hmm. and glare point of view. And you make for um, unnecessarily high utility bills. And if you really think about where this green building movement came from, way back one, when, it was all about trying to reduce our carbon footprint. And I still think it is. It still should be, as a basic foundation, reducing your carbon footprint. I don't think it should be about what type of solar panels you put on the roof or what brand uh, energy recovery ventilation system you put in, and I know you're into that, or, or, or what kind of um, bicycle racks are up front. First and foremost, you gotta design the building to respond to our climate. Mm -hmm. And if the building is not designed to respond to our climate in the sun, I don't believe it should be even considered green. I think that's a non-starter. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting. The word green, you know, it, it originally had a connotation for some sort of quality related to energy performance and carbon, as you talked about, sustainability. Um, interestingly, I just got back from the Pacifast conference. They're already saying, look, Sustainability is not the proper terminology anymore because the environment is degraded to this level. Why sustain it? Let's have regenerative. Thank you. But but taking yeah. back into your question, so the the is it the architects or is it a chicken and egg situation? And the architects um, are responding to their clients' understanding, or should oh, the architects no. advocate no, no, more? No, 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 yeah, no, tell no, me about no, that. no. I've heard that thing for 40 years. You know, one of the nice things about being in my 60s is you can call bullshit when you hear bullshit. No, it's a failure to communicate if that's what someone's trying to say. Well, I designed this really poor responding building because my clients told me to do so. Mm -hmm. Bullshit. Mm -hmm. Now, so, so there are architects uh, in the role to educate and advocate for best thank practices. Thank you. There's, it's this thing called leadership, professionalism. Mm -hmm. You're a professional architect with a license to guide the public well. If you gave, if you, if you were a gun instructor and you gave somebody a gun and they were about to blow their foot off, I would think you should say, wait a minute, don't pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. So that's my view on this thing that, oh, But then gee, once the, you warn them. Well, if you warn them. Because yeah, ultimately it is their house. Ultimately it is their house, right. But you know. I don't know, guys. I've done 600 homes and buildings. I've never had a client say, oh, no, we want that excess of solar heat and that glare. We really want that. <laughs> no. I'm sorry. I don't buy that. Okay. Okay. So what other ways could it respond to the climate? I mean, so we have well, a lot first of and foremost, you've got to think about daylighting. And, and they talk about ample sunlight. No, it's not ample sunlight here. It's balanced daylighting we need in our homes and our buildings, not excessive or ample sunlight. That's one term to get people to understand. Uh, but you can do, it doesn't take a lot of sophisticated sun angle calculations to see what you need to do. Mm -hmm. If you can't accomplish your need 
with good overhangs or awnings above the windows, you can at least put in some type of external shading devices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Roll down automatic uh, sunscreens if need be, something. Gosh darn, we're creative. We can come up with yeah. all solutions. Yeah. So you're not just blocking the light, you're also trying to push it Diffuse deep, deeper it. into the core. Yeah, you, yes, that's right. Thank uh -huh. you. You're not just trying to block it, you're trying to help it penetrate deeper into the spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's through design of your apertures and overhangs. Yeah, and it's and frankly, it's shelves. not rocket science. Huh? I could tell you about the three nuns who died and went to the gates of St. Pete, but I'll save that for another time. All right, all right. So yes, it's rated G for all audiences. It is, it is. <laughs> okay, so um, daylighting, solar shading, right, so mean radiant yeah. temperature. And how Are you, you do your roof, how you do with your roof. So tell me about your roof. Well... Tell me about it, that climate zone appropriate roof assembly. Look, the insulation manufacturers and other building product distributors have us all believing that if we don't insulate the heck out of our buildings, we're all just going to die. <laughs> and, and I had a professor, I'm going to go back to 1981, when I came to the University of Texas for graduate school, I, I was going to go to MIT or Berkeley. They, too, were into this, what we called back then, environmentally sensitive movement. But a professor here at UT said something really cool, and I want to say this, because if you internalize what this professor, Paco Arumi, said, Paco it answers Arumi. almost all questions. He said, if you're designing a building in Alaska or one in Austin, do to the building what you would do to yourself to make yourself comfortable outside. Awesome. Now, in Alaska, I do want to wrap myself with a lot of insulation, otherwise I'll be freezing. <laughs> but how many days a year will that make you feel better in Austin, Texas? Yeah, yeah. On the other hand, in Austin, Texas, get out of the sun. Stand underneath a shade tree. Probably 350 days a year that'll make you feel better. Yeah, smart. So... I don't care, frankly, what the R value is of the glass or the R value is of the wall, maybe the roof, yes, until I've dealt with radiation, because that's the type of heat transfer that's going to make all the difference in the world here. So, so how do you do let's talk to a roof. Let's yeah. do, you park your car underneath a tree, and you come out to it at 5 o'clock in the summer, and it's okay. It's comfortable. So the point is, no insulation, get rid of the radiation. Build some type of shading umbrella over your house or your building. Smart. Put a radiation barrier in the in the roof structure, at the very least. But we developed that floating ventilation. Well, a foil. Yeah, good question. Because these these terms, it's just aluminum foil on the underside of the roof mm -hmm. to reduce the amount of solar radiation that penetrates through the roofing structure and, and to heat up the attic. But that can't. That's. That's incompatible with spray foam. If you spray foam, no, 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 no. That's there. You go again. You're you're stuck. Uh -huh. No, you can do an airspace underneath the sheathing and still then do ah, spray foam underneath that. Kaboom! If you go around like other builders do, and uh, you, you'll see our you'll see those ideas. We've uh -huh. done that. Yeah, so so 20 years ago, we came up with that one. <laughs> um, the other thing, though, is wait, if wait, you... So, excuse me a second. I just want to make sure. I, so you have metal roof. Yeah, or no, any kind of roof. If you're talking about the airspace... So any, you have a roof decking with radiant barrier. Yep. And then you have an air gap. Right. So you have some sort of baffle that right, you put right. in there. Yeah, it's and then really sophisticated. Foam. It's called bent cardboard. Um, <laughs> well, could you spell that? B-E-N-T. Yeah, it, there should be a listing in the CSI directory for bent cardboard or wedge <laughs> cardboard. Right. And then you spray foam to the all that. Uh, and, and you encapsulate. Yeah. Like the, the rafters. 
oh, yes, with you ventilation can. as well. You know, isn't that something? That yes, you, were you doing? can go on top of the roof deck with ventilation. Absolutely, but I'm uh, this detail that I'm mentioning to you is something you can do with an inexpensive roof material like composition, composition shingles. Okay. Now, if you were going to go with a metal roof, don't put the metal directly onto the wood roof deck. Metal conducts heat really well. It certainly does. So why in God's name do you want to connect it really securely to your building mm -hmm. to transfer heat? No, what you want to do is put some type of airspace between the metal and the roof deck. Yeah. Uh, and we've got a variety of ways of doing that. You've probably seen them with running the uh, one by four lath at an angle so we can get a continuous ventilated space underneath the metal. And that way, your metal roof does a few things. It, it acts like a big shading umbrella over the house. Yeah. It's like parking your house in a carport mm -hmm. or underneath a tree. But the other thing it does is it makes it so that the roofing system can breathe. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is important. Mm -hmm. If the roof decking gets wet because of leaks, and by, by the way, everything will eventually leak, yeah. it has a way of drying out mm -hmm. and self-healing. If moisture gets underneath the metal, it has a way of drying out so it won't prematurely rust the metal from the inside. So it's, it's not just to save energy and make the house more comfortable. It's to make the roof last much longer. Yeah. So that's, that's good on the roof. You, you, you sort of dismiss the walls a little bit. Um, because the sun is... You do put some insulation in your walls? Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. But look, you know, I know it sounds really... Um, really elementary, but I like breaking things down to elementary analogies. Imagine this. If you get a good cooler, it doesn't even have to be a Yeti. It could be a basic igloo cooler. And if you fill it up with ice and you close the lid and tape it so no air could flow into there and you put it in the shade but outside, you'd be surprised how many days, if not a week, that ice will still be in the cooler fascinating. So what's happened here? You, you don't have much of an R value. It's uh -huh. maybe R2, R4. Yeah. But you've gotten rid of the infiltration of outside air. But the big thing is you've gotten rid of the big transfer methodology for heat, which is radiation. Because I said, put the cooler in the shade. Here, here. So... The point is, the insulation value is next to nothing, but the ice still remains in the cooler and keeps the contact contents cool. Mm -hmm. That's our house in Austin, Texas. I don't really Could care. Could you put a number to it? Like, what, what do you shoot for for a czar value on a wall? Is yeah, R13, R13, R15? R13, uh -huh. I think is fine. I think, you know, your standard R11, R13 insulation with some type of insulated sheathing, I found three quarters of an inch of foam on the outside works perfectly because then your window flanges and, and all your trim works out very nicely. That's a wonderful home. Mm -hmm. You don't and, have to go that's, R19. That's nominal R13, but the effect of R value of the wall is also staying high because you're putting that continuous insulation. Right. Right, that's right. So, I, look, a two-by-four wall with uh, good spray foam insulation and an outside insulated sheathing uh, would be great. Yeah. And and then shade those windows and, and do a shading umbrella roof, and then you're 80% there. Tell me about shading those windows. Tell me a little more about that. About what? Shading the windows. You mentioned it from blocking radiation, getting light deep into the building, but do you have a... Uh, I guess it changes on different projects. Do you have a certain... 
style that you use to shade it or you materials? Know, or? We, we do. I love using awnings mounted directly above the window. You've seen them. They're yeah. metal. They're usually metal roofing with some type of nifty-looking metal bracket. Some of them might have a good-looking cypress wood on the underside of it to make it look fancier. Oh, yeah. But it's just putting a baseball a visor above all the windows. <laughs> I it, love it. It. It, it does three things. It obviously saves on your energy because you're cutting out the radiation from coming into the house or the building. But it actually does something else which is counterintuitive. It helps reflect light into the house or the building. Mm, diffuse radiation from right. the outside, yeah. So you actually have a brighter interior. And by the way, no one's got to close their blinds this way unless they need the privacy. Mm -hmm. If you look at a lot of homes that don't deal with solar radiation from the outside, you'll notice the curtains or the drapes or something are still drawn on the inside because after a while people get tired of glare and heat. Mm -hmm. So the nice thing about an eyebrow above the windows is you don't have the glare or the heat problem. You get more daylighting in the house. And you know what else? What? The windows don't have to be cleaned as often. Interesting. Because if you keep the water off the windows, they don't get dirty. Mm. As dirty. And by the way, your windows, instead of lasting 20 years, will probably last, like at the building where my office is, 100 years. Awesome. Those are four-foot overhangs, and it's about a 110-year-old building. Wow. And so the um, amount of glazing, the amount of you know, holes in the wall that you put in, are you strategic about that, or how do you, how do you get to that number? Well, yes. I mean, look... I think every young architect wants to put windows every in every square foot of the exterior of the building because they all think windows define coolness. How do I say this politely? As I've gotten older and lived in some buildings with Florida, lots of glass, I realize, you know, that doesn't necessarily translate to comfort. I think you need to be practical with the amount of glass you put in. Yeah, if you've got some incredible view of the Grand Tetons, which we've done in uh, other parts of the country, yeah, we have a whole wall of glass, but we still shade it really well. The net of it is, don't go crazy on glass, because no matter what the window manufacturers say, no matter how much argon gas is filled between the panes, or what the low E rating is, it's still going to be less comfortable than if it was a good wall. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And by the way, that argon gas that everyone talks about being adding the R value, well, first of all, it makes you go from a D, from an F to a D. Big deal. I mean, it's it's okay. <laughs> what do you mean by that, from an F to a D? Uh, a, an F as in a letter failing grade, grade F, failing grade to a D. Barely passed. But then guess what? Within 10 years, the argon is leaked out anyway. So the analogy I have, trying to rely on the new glass technology, argon filling, low E. Well, here's an analogy. If you had a bucket of water and it had a leak in the bottom of the pail, and you had it outside, you could put a cover over the bucket to help reduce the evaporation of water. But so what? You still got a bigger problem. You still have a leak in the damn bucket. So who cares about how much water you're losing through evaporation if you've got a leak in the bucket? Well, that's really what's happening with all this window technology. You still have a big old leak in the house, because you have too much radiation hitting the glass. Fascinating. So am I hearing you right that you don't need to use low E because you have good good solar shading? That's correct. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I like, it. like if we have sliding walls or lots of glass between the house and the screened-in porch, we specifically order the old-time just double-pane glass so we can get all the reflected daylighting 
possible. And, and you get that natural color. Right, yeah, it, natural color. And yes, yeah, I could say things, but I won't. <laughs> oh, good. Thank you, Peter. And anyone who knows Peter Pfeiffer knows that that was tremendous restraint evidence. It is. Just it is. It, it's a Thursday, and a, cold, a cold Thursday in and Austin. And what are you drinking there? Is that just well, orange juice? No, it's not. This is actually, it's a whiskey sour. Oh, okay. But it has nothing to do with this because it's only halfway done. So we did five sides of the building so far. Four sides and, and we haven't talked about the underside. Yeah, so do you... you got to have a good vapor slab, barrier. You, yeah, oh, that's a good discussion. That's a good discussion. You know... 5, 10, 15 years ago, Joe Strebuck and John Tooley and my buds up north were all talking about this lane brain idea of inviting the crawl space and all its cockroaches into your house. And I said, that's a bunch of BS. I'm sorry, but with spray foam... You mean tech- by building science BS or yes. the other BS? No, it's BS <laughs> as in bullshit. Because I don't like the idea of a crawl space and the air in the crawl space, no matter how nice a mat you do and all this stuff, connecting that with the household air. Uh, just stop. The idea is, gosh darn it, just stop the humidity and the moisture that's in this soil from being able to come up into the, your building, period. Mm-hmm. And, and if you just Do you think... Do on the walls of the crawl space? Let me get there. Right, the the bigger point is, I think we all get wrapped up in details before we really analyze what it is we're trying to accomplish. I see that all the time in the, in the building business. People talk about this type of crawl space vent versus not venting. It doesn't matter, guys. All we're trying to do is stop the humidity and stuff that's coming out of the ground from coming up into your building, period. Mm-hmm. Well, you can do that by doing something very laborious, like putting down a, a special vapor barrier on the crawl space floor and, and then not do any crawl space vents and, and tape it all very nicely together <laughs> and hope that no one, no, no one ever in the next 100 years will ever breach this thing. And then even take it one step into further stupidity by blowing some air-conditioned air into there and circulating it through your house. Or just spray closed-cell foam on, on the underside of the floor system. Don't forget to encapsulate your joists and call it a day. Period. And your... And your... Um, so the walls of the crawl space, do they have holes in them? Well, I, sometimes they might and sometimes they might not. If you've got moisture coming up from underneath the ground, like in my case on West 6th Street with those old houses, we discovered we've got underground springs. Oh, oh let me stop for a minute. Difference. All of these things I'm saying have been the result of my 30 years of using my buildings on West 6th Street as my building science laboratory. One of them does have a sealed crawl space, by the way. One has a totally vented crawl space. And the last one has this hybrid crawl space. It started off as totally sealed, until I realized, what do you do during a really rainy area and you, time of the year, and you got springs percolating water up underneath your building? Yeah, I'm looking underneath my yeah, poly barrier on the floor, and I'm seeing all this gross mildew, and it's seeping out everywhere. So I figured, the hell with this. I vented the crawl space, but I sealed off the 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 plane between the crawl space and the house very effectively with closed cell foam and I encapsulated every single structural member the entire rafter not just the underside of the floor but the entire not rafter but joist and that's a great system that building's performing wonderfully and it's it's very serviceable I don't have to worry about someone walking around in there with soccer spikes on and busting up my vapor barrier on the floor of the crawl Mm -hmm, space mm -hmm. 
So it used to be that one build of closed cell spray foam was like an inch, R7, R6, R7, something like that. Now they have new spray foam closed cell, excuse me. That mm -hmm. was all about the closed cell. Right, no, that's right. One inch, seven, R7 3. per inch, yeah. So now you can do two inches in a single build. Would you do one inch, two inch? Would you not care? In this is climate, it more about the vapor or the it's air? It's more about the vapor in the air. Our mm -hmm. value, schmar value. Yeah, because yeah, one inch is there's fine. There's no radiation down there. That's right, no radiation. Um, really, the difference in temperature between the crawl space that's vented and the interior of the building might be 20 degrees on a bad day. Mm -hmm. And by the way, how do I know that? I put an electronic thermometer in the crawl space and it records the highs and the lows. And I've had it in there since 2010, so it's seven years. The crawl space is never, and it's a vented crawl space. In the dead of the winter, it's never gotten colder than about 52 degrees. Interesting. And the house was 68 degrees, 70 degrees. So call it a delta T of about 20 degrees. Mm -hmm. You don't need a lot of insulation to fight a 20 degree change in temperature yeah. between one environment to the next. Yeah. And you've got a huge thermal mass there called the Earth. Yeah, the Earth. That's right. <laughs> Coupling that in. So, so why do we need R19 insulation underneath our buildings? Okay. So we're 22 minutes somehow already. That's gone what? so fast. I know. Um, so I want to go back actually to where we started because where About we started the, uh, was not sour? necessarily the Austin Green <laughs> Green Awards, but in general, um, and I'm not, I mean this. There are a lot of architects in this room and people that care about their craft, they care about their projects, and yet somehow a lot of people in this room would also say it's become overly ocular-centric, overly visually focused. Only me with the ocular-centric. Maybe <laughs> I, yeah, love maybe that I would ocular -centric. say ocular-centric. But you're right, it? by the way, you're right. We've gone back to what I call the, the decorated box. We've gone back to looks being everything. Mm -hmm. I think the maturity we were developing in the 80s and 90s towards high performance as well as good looks has retrogressed. It seems like it, and I want and I want to know why, but maybe that's... Oh, that's I, I, too... I, I'm going to say something radical, can I? Go. Frickin' lead. I believe, and I'll say this on the radio, the U.S. Green Building Council's lead program was the explosion that blew out the flames and the inspiration and the creative problem solving of the green building movement. Woo! They destroyed it. They tried codifying it, uh -huh. and they got so wrapped up in bike racks and, and pandering to those who Gadgetry were their stakeholders mm -hmm. that they completely disincentivized the architectural community to design smart, climate-sensitive buildings. Mm -hmm. I can see how it shifts the consciousness of the designer toward a checklist, toward a, a lot of information that's not artistry, it's, it's minutia. not craft. And look, they weren't trying to be evil. They weren't. It was just people who were not as well educated in the building sciences and architecture as they should have been. Mm -hmm. I understand that a very small percentage of the board members are truly accomplished, licensed, principal architects on the USGBC. Now, let me make sure you so, understand what I said there. Accomplished, <laughs> principal, licensed architects. Yeah, they might have somebody who got their license in 2016, and he's therefore a licensed architect on the board. But I'm sorry, but that's not the same as someone with 35 or 40 years experience making mistakes right and left. Mm -hmm. If you get licensed, accomplished, principal architects who have spent their life designing buildings to be high performance and energy efficient, 
that would be a whole different U.S. Green Building Council. I like it. So one last topic then. That was well right. said. And pretty bold. The, the explosion that blew out the flames. Flames of the green building movement. <laughs> oh, man. That's why I think we've retrogressed to the eye candy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's, the, there's a, an expression that's out there now. Health is the new green. That homes right, particularly right, can be right. can be built for well-being and uh, and health. Right, and right. my hope is that that can kind of rekindle that flame or rekindle uh, a, a new way of caring and a new way of appreciating. Um, right. So he, we're looking at the poster in our booth. It says, "Design around people, a good building follows." And so that keep in mind that that means beauty, that means durability, that means performance. People want all kinds of things. They're also like uh, I'm looking at Peter's hand here. There's transdermal uptake of VOCs in this space right into your blood, right? Holy shit. Yeah. Would you say that one again? Transdermal uptake yeah, like, of VOCs into my blood? Yes, yeah, so the phthalates <laughs> like from that. the plasticizers in the rug. You know, it's like we're all... Do you whisper that to your wife at night? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> so the... Uh, yeah, that's good. So the, the thing I want to get to is... What do you think? Is health going to be able to rekindle a, a different appreciation for buildings? Yeah, I think I think we really obviously have to pay attention to health. I mean, gosh darn, there's it's not a coincidence that now cancer is a number two cause of deaths in America. Yeah. Where is this cancer coming from? I get that. Yeah. I hope, I hope. But I think the minutia approach, I would like to think before we get delve into the minutia, we make smart design decisions. You've heard me say this. Absolutely. Don't put so a pol- about air quality decisions. Right. Don't put a source of pollution as. Uh, don't live with your car. Yeah. Separate your car in some form or fashion from the living area. Yeah. Especially if you have an air conditioned home in the south, you know where the laws of nature really want to drive the warm, humid air from your garage into your house. Absolutely. You know, let's do the common sense things. Um, what else do you do for air quality? Do you have any? Well, all right. Now, we've all talked about the carpet padding and the carpeting and the furniture. Air the stuff out for two days before you put it in the house. There you go. Smart. I know that sounds like a hassle. I've had to do it. It is a hassle, but it has a tremendous effect Long because term. I believe, I've read, mm-hmm. that the majority of the off-gassing, the negative VOCs, the bad stuff, comes out of the furniture and the carpet and the padding in the first 24 to 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And UV can actually accelerate that if you put it out in the sunshine. Ah, good point. Good yeah. point. Interesting. I like that. So there's or using a front-loading washing machine so you don't get that humidity coming out of your washing machine and, and loading up your whole house. Make sure you use an exhaust fan well in your kitchen. and a Makeup good air for things. Makeup air, yes. I mm-hmm. mean, we don't have to go into an expensive and energy-consumptive energy ventilation system as our knee-jerk reaction. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you and I might have an argument about that. Well, I would say you always bias toward health when in doubt. Bias toward health, but mm-hmm. let's not go overboard and knee-jerk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I put it in hierarchical order. But I think we Much need to wrap more. up. It's already been 30 minutes. So I want to thank uh, Bautex for sponsoring this episode and TXA for letting us be here at this booth. And I want to thank you, Peter, and I want to give you the last word. Any final comments or thoughts? Uh, to be continued on this discussion about yeah, how so to too. ensure good inter- air quality. Good I man. agree with you, though. Let's get back to that basic and try to elevate the architectural world back to serious stuff instead of eye candy. Well said, my friend. Thank you, Peter. And we'd also like to thank TXA for making this happen and, of course, our sponsor, Bautex.